Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. We thought about children the last time I was able to preach to you. Uh, this time we'll think about fathers and mothers. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. We'll just keep our eye on that one verse actually this morning. Ephesians 6, 4. And I'll read verses 1 through 4 to warm us up to our central passage. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Here's our passage. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we ask you, as we spend this time listening to your voice in your word, you'd set a guard over the door of my mouth that I wouldn't sin against you and everything I say would be fully consistent with your word, and we pray you'd give us ears and minds that are discerning, and all that we hear that's true would not only lodge itself deeply in our minds, but take its place in our hearts, and even move to affect our everyday actions. We pray that you would bring about repentance and faith through your word. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. A couple years after I was converted, after I became a follower of Jesus Christ, I was working on the oil rigs in southern Alberta. And uh, I tell you what, if there is an easier place to stand out as a Christian, I don't know it. Uh, just all you got to do basically is not cuss and you immediately stand out as different. And I can't tell you how many times just by basic Christian living, uh, I stood out on the, in the middle of the oil fields of southern Alberta. And I think about that this morning as we're thinking about this series of pulling up weeds in our daily lives, and we're thinking about uh, how Christianity affects our marriages and how it affects our parenting and how it affects our work relationships. We are living in a season in this particular culture where you don't have to do a lot to stand out. Uh, the rebellion I had to endure in the early 90s to get some attention, I and mean, we actually had to work to be different. Uh, in this day and age, if you would give yourself uh, to a holy life, if you would give yourself to loving one woman and not hooking up with everyone who's available on Tinder, if you would just give yourself to any kind of a holy life, there's an immediate ability to stand out. And as Christians, rather than bemoaning the current state of affairs, we really ought to have a sense of what an incredible opportunity we've been given to simply walk in a basic pattern of faithfulness in the Scriptures and to stand out, well, the Apostle Paul would put it like this, to shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I want to speak to uh, one of the most influential groups in this church, 
and to one of the most influential groups in every civilization that has ever existed. I want to speak to fathers. And whenever you speak these messages that are geared to one a particular group in the church, there's always a sense of, well, what about, what about for me? And it was interesting, I was reading uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, as I often do, uh, uh, as I was preparing for these sermons, and, and, he, and he was saying, as he was thinking about fathers and mothers and parents and children, his own sermon, whenever we hear a sermon, even if it doesn't quote-unquote address us, it's a matter of Christian truth and is beautiful for that very reality, just the very fact that what we're considering is from God's Word. But it, there isn't anyone here who, even if you're not a father, didn't have a father or perhaps didn't feel the absence of a father. And so considering what God's Word says about these matters, it really is a way of processing through God's lenses what's happened in our lives, what's led us to where we are today, and where we go uh, from here. So I want to speak to fathers, and just like I said to the children, everybody else too. And the first thing I want you to notice is that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, there is a call to miraculous fatherhood. There is called to miraculous fatherhood. Now you could read this uh, verse, uh, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you could say, well, this is the Christian contribution to family ethics. This is what Christianity has to say about the family. It has this word to say to fathers, they're supposed to live like this. And, and, and you could sort of say, you know, Confucianism has its contribution to ethics. There was a strong emphasis in Confucianism in honoring your parents. Or you could say, well, listen, secular progressivism has its contribution. It says you ought not to listen to your parents. You just listen to your heart. Here's Christianity's contribution. But if all you were to see here was an ethical teaching, a moral teaching, maybe even a fairly radical moral teaching, you would miss the heartbeat of what's going on in Ephesians chapter six, verse four. Because you see, the apostle Paul is not just speaking into the world, giving dad advice. The apostle Paul is speaking what he's saying at the end of five chapters of having explained the condition of the whole human race, and specifically having explained the condition of fathers. And here's what the apostle Paul believes about every dad he's speaking to. They weren't just bad dads. They were utterly spiritually dead without any responsiveness to God at all. And that every father who's being addressed in Ephesians chapter 5, every Christian father, is someone whose whole spiritual life is a miracle. Let me just read you and remind you of some of these key truths, lest you forget these basic truths of Ephesians. Remember, uh, Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were absolutely dead. Not sick, not limping along, dead. Zero responsiveness to the things of God. I was watching uh, some YouTube video a while ago, and there's this professional, glorious violinist, one of the best in the world, and he stations himself in a New York 
York subway to play his violin, and no one knows who he is, no one knows the fame that he has, no one knows that he's the virtuoso of virtuosos, and he plays his violin, and he barely makes pennies on the dollar. No one stops to give him any of the kudos that he deserves. He's just ignored when he's in the subway. And you and I live in a world where the music of God is playing every day, all the time, as the heavens declare the glory of God, and everyone passes by acting like he doesn't even exist. And if they acknowledge he does exist, they do not stop and wonder to marvel at all he's doing. And the reason is that we're dead. The reason is we have no capability for spiritual responsiveness in our souls at all. I'm gonna go a little further, but before I do, let me just say this. If you've gotten a few years into fatherhood and you're going, man, I'm bad at this, let me just say, I am not surprised. <laughs> when you think about where you come from, your origins, where you're from, it is not surprising that you would be horrendous at emulating the Heavenly Father. But let me tell you something else. Every single Christian is not just someone who was dead. They're someone who's been made alive. That's what Ephesians says in Ephesians chapter two, verse four. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The fathers that Paul is speaking to are born again fathers. They're fathers that have got a life that's not their own. That is to be a good Christian dad, you don't have to have had a good Christian dad. To be a good Christian dad, you don't even have to have done well so far. To be a good Christian dad, you need to draw on a resurrection life that is absolutely yours by mercy and grace alone. The whole source of learning to be a Christian father is not tips and tricks. It's not even having witnessed it in your own father, as marvelous as that is, that's a tremendous blessing but it's from the new life that's given to every believer in Jesus Christ. So, you're naturally bad at this. No one should be shocked. You can grow in this. You bet you can. Because the foundation of growing in grace is a miracle. And it's a miracle that God does in every heart. You know, you've often heard me quote the wonderful story of Lazarus when we think about what it is to be born again. And I try not to repeat my illustrations too often, but I go back to Lazarus a lot. And you remember there's Lazarus, he's dead. King James is so helpful, he stinketh. The decomposition process is set in. Jesus says to Lazarus, in a loud voice the text tells us, Lazarus, come forth. And you know what didn't happen right there? Lazarus didn't go, now let me think about that. That is an interesting proposition. No, the power that called for life imparted the life too. The word that said live imparted the actual life. And Lazarus rose up from the dead because of the same word that said let there be light, and there was light, had spoken to him. 
But there's a passage, there's part of this Lazarus story I often don't remind you of. And I should. And it's this. It says in verse 44 of John chapter 11 in the Lazarus story, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, people, unbind him and let it go, let him go. The one who Jesus had supernaturally and sovereignly raised from the dead was still covered in linen cloths. And Jesus used people, his followers, to unwrap Lazarus from those death rags. And when the Apostle Paul comes to Christian fathers in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. He is talking to people who've been raised from the dead, but now he's coming tenderly to start wiping away the ways of death from your life. The Word of God comes to us and begins to unwrap the effects of death that we've been bound up in. And so if you're looking at this whole fatherhood prospect, and you're thinking, I could never do that, or I've tried and I've failed, it's not going so well. The Word of God is coming to you this morning not to give you new life if you're a Christian, He's given you a new life. But to begin to unwrap the ways of death so that you can walk in newness of life. You can walk in the ways of Jesus. So the first thing Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 is calling us to is miraculous fathers. The second thing it's calling us to is responsible fathers. Responsible fathers. There's something curious about the command here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And what's curious is that it is just addressed to fathers. Fathers get highlighted. Notice it doesn't say fathers and mothers. And there's a right way to think about that and a wrong way. The one uh, wrong way to think about it would be to say, all this parenting business, all the responsibility, it's all on dad, mom is just sidelined, it's all, everything is my decision. There's, there's literally like almost no one making that mistake these days, but it would, be a, it would be a wrong mistake. Because if you look up in the passage, what you find is children obey your parents. So the mom and dad are clearly playing a team sport here. This is doubles tennis, not singles tennis, uh, when you're, when you're, when you're um, parenting. You go on to verse 2, and it's honor your father and your mother. So there's clearly an idea of mom and dad being in this together. You flip back in your Bible, go back to the book of Proverbs, and you find, you find the same kind of thing. You find mom and dad singing with one voice. Sure, he's, he's singing bass, she's singing soprano, but it's the same idea. They are singing together. Proverbs 1.8 says these words, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Again, team sport, mom and dad both involved. Proverbs 6.20, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. I heard one preacher say that 
parents should try to be so unified in their teaching that somewhere around 16 years old, the child realizes they actually have two parents and not just one. It's good advice. In Ephesians and in Proverbs, it's clear that Proverbs has, that the parenting has more in common with a team sport than say running alone in track. So do not hear Ephesians 6, 4 as sidelining moms or as an excuse for dad to steamroll moms. No, it's, if you listen to Proverbs carefully, who is it that's saying that kids should listen to moms? It's dad. It's dad in our family. Not listening to mom was a disciplinable offense because the whole thrust of the Bible is that mom and dad both ought to be listened to. But having said that, it's not an accident. The Apostle Paul highlights fathers. It's not an accident that the Apostle Paul highlights fathers. It's fully consistent with the picture of family responsibility painted from the very beginning of the Bible. Who ate the forbidden fruit first? It was Eve. And who did God come to talk to about it? Adam. It's fascinating. In 1 Timothy, it actually says this. It actually says, the man was not deceived, but the woman was. What's going on? Well, Eve was in sin. She'd followed a lie. Her husband was in straight up undeceived rebellion. He had received a word from God directly. You don't eat that fruit. And he'd sat there like a dumb oaf while she flirted with the devil and walked straight into sin. The fallenness of the human race, repeatedly, read Romans 5, lands at Adam's feet. Not because women have no responsibility or moral culpability. Not because man and wife don't work together. But because God has given a particular responsibility to dads in every single home. And dads need to be aware of that. Now I want to be clear one of my fears is that in this culture where there's no respect for authority, that all Christians do is they reclaim authority. Everyone's thrown out authority. We're going to get it back. But the Bible never speaks about getting authority back as just an ultimate good. There's plenty of cultures that understand authority that are be horrible to live in. What the Bible wants to do is see dads grow in that responsibility for their families. The family took on your name, dad. She took on your name. You're responsible. But there's an understanding that there's a leading, but it's not leading beside a doormat. It's not leading uh, beside someone you can steamroll. It's not leading and you just sort of have an executive assistant. You've got a highly competent woman made in the image of God that you're leading in this task of parenting. I'll tell you two quick stories. When our oldest was about six months old, my wife started thinking through schooling options. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I thought this was a touch premature. 
at six months old. Um, by the time um, Jordana, our oldest, was four, an entire forest had died because my wife had ordered every catalog <laughs> available to man into our home, and she'd read it all. By the time Jordana turned four and it was time to start making a decision, I was feeling a little intimidated by the homeschooling expert that had emerged in my home. And then it dawned on me, I don't need to feel intimidated, I need to be thankful. This excellent wife has worked hard to think about all these options. And in light of this, Christy and I scheduled a night or two to go over all she'd learned and to make a decision. At the end of the day, the final decision was mine, for sure. I'm the father. But it's not a decision made in steamrolling, it's a decision made, hopefully, in the healthiest situations together. Fifteen years later, many of you know, Christy got cancer. And uh, although God has healed her of cancer and it's never returned, her health has never been the same. But we were still homeschooling 15 years later. And uh, I was watching my wife do this, and I thought, I said to her one time, I said, I think this is going to kill you. And she said, isn't that what I'm supposed to do, to die for my kids? I said, yeah, but I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to stop you. And so for her, I, good, I did, and together we studied the school system in Louisville, and our kids were in JCPS within a few years. Now, the point of this story is not schooling options. The point is that fathers, you have the primary responsibility for the upbringing, education, and nurture of your children. This is so, here's how bad dads not being responsible has affected us. I actually caught myself when our kids were young Christy would go out somewhere, I'd have the kids at home, someone would say, what are you doing tonight? I'd say, I'm babysitting. Now, would you ever say that if a woman stayed at home with her children? No, you would not. It's called mothering. And dads, when you're at home alone with your kid, that's called fathering, not babysitting. Dads don't babysit. You hire the, anyway. We want to avoid all extremes. We do not want to build homes where dad brings home the bacon and raises ki raising kids is his wife's gig. We do not want to build homes where mom and dad are bringing home the bacon and they have hired out the raising of the kids. We don't want to build homes where dad is responsible and mom is steamrolled, ignored, and sidelined. We want to build homes where fathers take the lead in the team sport of parenting, working side by side with her as fellow heirs of the grace of life to raise up the next generation. Third thing, Ephesians 6.4 calls fathers to be not just miraculous fathers and responsible fathers, but peaceable fathers. Peaceable fathers. Listen to this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I've always found that verse stunning because the Bible the dominant emphasis on the Bible is on your personal responsibility for you. You're responsible for you. We all go through hard times, but you're responsible for you. And yet, here we are, faced with the fact that fathers can be so deeply influential that they can actually stoke a fire of anger 
in their children. Christian Standard Bible translates that do not stir up anger in your children. Lexham translation goes even a little further. Don't make your children angry. So we have to remember, and I already stated this, but I want to say it again, the Bible is not just interested in instituting a particular kind of authority. It's interested, sorry, it's not just interested in instituting authority, but it's interested in instituting a particular kind of authority. And it's a kind of authority that doesn't make kids hopping mad. Now, I was reading a number of sermons written in the 60s uh, this, this week, and it was stunning to listen to these sermons uh, talk about the absolute breakdown of the family, the rebellion of the day, and the utter demise of civilization that would happen if this didn't stop. You know, so I Googled, like, what was on TV when these sermons were being preached? And it's like, leave it to Beaver and Father Knows Best and the and it's like the shows I let my kids watch. No, I could watch more than that. But you know, it's, 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 the, it's what we would consider wholesome. And what you have literally is a situation where decades ago, 60 years ago now, the unraveling of all the authority that we see having unraveled in our day was already beginning. And so what happens there is we get, now in our generation, the Christians are like, we've got to get it back. You, we can't lose all authority. We can't, we can't lose all control. Well, it's a good impulse. But just getting back authority is not winning the battle. Authority that provokes kids to anger is bad authority. I had a sister in the church say to me this week, make sure you preach on not exasperating your kids she said, I, I talk to women all the time, talk to women all the time who have a trouble believing God loves them because of how angry their fathers made them. New Testament scholar Andrew Lincoln says that this command, this command not to provoke your children to anger, forbids excessively severe discipline Excessively severe discipline forbidden by the Word of God, unreasonably harsh demands, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness. You know, the kids can tell when you're disciplining them because you're trying to watch the show and they're disobeying and making it hard. And when you're disciplining them consistently because there's actually a rule that's been broken. Excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, constant nagging, just everything's a problem, everything's wrong. And condemnation. John Piper makes the comment that one of the things his father never did when disciplining him was make him feel hopeless. There was never a sense of, you'll never improve, you'll never change, you're always, you've never. Subjecting a child to humiliation, belittling them, berating them, 
all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. Now I read through that and I'm sure my heart gets convicted like your heart. And, and here's just one source of comfort for me is you would not believe how sensitive children are to repentant parenting and how much they will receive imperfect parenting if there's repentance. So there can be a sense in which you read something like that, you want to paper mache righteousness all over your wicked parenting, don't do it. You want to go to those kids and repent. Repent where you've been, unreasonably harsh, abuse your authority, arbitrary, nagged, condemned, humiliated, all forms of gross insensitivity. We live in a world that basically teaches our kids, and it's so sad that if they experience any kind of bad parenting, they're broken for life. What a condemning worldview. That kind of fragility makes childhood just result in hopelessness. Now, none of us should make an excuse for our sins, but you need to realize God has raised up more than one godly kid through imperfect parenting. In fact, if you are a Christian home, a Christian kid, grew up in a Christian home, and you've got even a modicum of decency in you, guess what happened to you? God raised up you in an imperfect Christian home. Another just little tip, when you get angry, and there might be that kind of provoking your child to anger, um, one of our former members, a man who used to preach here, Dr. Jim Warwick, they had a family rule that the parents, any discipline given in anger could be appealed. I think of some extreme disciplines on the fly. The things that pop into my mind, you're grounded forever, you know? So there's gotta be some sort of appeal process and mom and dad need to be aware, hey, if something was given in anger, it can be rethought about. It can be reconsidered. Staying positive helps avoid exasperation. Martin Luther said, spare the rod, spoil the child? Yes. But also keep an apple around uh, for when the child is good. There was a time when apples were apparently a treat. But anyway, uh, you can choose something appropriate, I don't know, some honey sweetened granola or a big candy bar. Third thing we wanna see is not only miraculous fathers, and responsible fathers, and also uh, peaceable fathers, but also uh, elevating fathers. Fathers that actually aim to lift their kids up. Now listen to this passage, it's very stunning. It says this, it says, fathers do not provoke your children in anger, but bring them up. There's a sense in which a child is just, it's a miracle. 
I was thinking about the story of Jack and the beanstalk and how Jack sold the family cow to get magic beans because the magic beans would become who knows what. But it's just amazing to have so much potential in your hand. Every child can become a Mozart or a competent unknown member of society or, or someone's grandpa or grandma. Every child has the potential to grow up to be the image of God reflected in man with whatever skills they've been given. And so uh, the next two things I'm actually going to say about parenting are pretty negative, and I'm going to say these negative things about parenting because the text says them. But, but they've all got to be said in the context of this positive. What we're trying to get is kids up, kids brought up, kids raised up to the potential they have to reflect the glory of God in their very lives, which, guess what, might not have the same gifts as your life, might not have the same skills. But whatever they've been given, you want to water them. You want to, you want to prune them. You, you want to see those gifts, those opportunities nurtured. And, and parents, you're going to see some parents, they've got all the money to send their kids into that league and that school. And you're going to see other parents who got, their kids have just got brains falling out of your, their ears. And your kids, you're looking in there to see if there's anything. There's something in there, but it's not large and it's not active. I don't know why. My brother said to me years ago, he said, Ryan, you got to get it through your head. Not all men are created equal. Oh, I know in terms of our worth, we're created equal. But in terms of our gifts, our opportunities, our financial resources, some people who live away from their home country, maybe on missions, find themselves not being able to give their kids the opportunities they had or their friends are having. You are not responsible to give your kids opportunities you can't give your kids. You just bring them up with what you have. If you've got deep pockets, give them great opportunities. If you've got shallow pockets, give them resourcefulness with what you've had. But make the goal, whether you've got massive opportunities or limited ones, just to bring them up, to elevate them, to see them glorify God in Christ. Second thing is, uh, well, no, I guess not. I got a little more to say on that one. When it comes to bringing up kids, I think there's a lot of intimidation for fathers. Especially if you're in a circle where it's like, you gotta lead family worship every night and that just means you need to read two chapters of scripture, give a brief exposition, answer all relevant questions for the family. No pressure, dads. How do you raise kids? What, 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 what do you need to put in the soil to bring children up? And here, here's, I'm just going to give you two things that are so ridiculously simple that anyone can do them. Even if your mama was looking in your ear going, there's not a lot there. Take them to church and talk to them about it. Now repeat after me. Say it with me. Take them to church 
and talk to him about it. No one died. The parenting process was never meant to be done alone. The Apostle Paul talks to children in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. He says, he says children, and then he unpacks what children are talk, supposed to do. We'll go to church where they speak to the people of God and speak to children in the larger gathering, in the Emmanuel Kids Ministry, take them to church and let them hear the Word of God. And then I'll tell you what happens in the Fullerton car whenever I get my kids with me on the way home from church. It's really complicated. It took me 22 years of seminary to learn this one. I say, what'd they talk about in youth today? I know, genius, right? One of my finer moments. And then they go, the Bible. <laughs> and you keep asking Till you get somewhere. Till you're talking about the real things of life. Till you're talking about the scriptures. And if that sounds too simple, well, let me just put it to you from God. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk, to the, talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on the gates. Parenting 101, talk to your kids about what they teach at church and talk to them about it when you stub your toe and you avoid saying a bad word for Jesus' sake. Talk to them about it when they hear something false on TV or maybe at school. Talk to them about it when they hear something true at church. Talk to them Act like Christianity is real. Be a real Christian. This is not crazy. This is not impossible. This is doable. And you know what happens? Let's say you're a dad, and your dad teaches you the Bible. They talk to you about the Bible. They read you the Bible. They look at the Bible with you. And then maybe, dad, you begin to study the Bible for yourself. And all you got to do there, if you're, if you're feeling overwhelmed, is maybe go over what was preached. Look over what was preached while it's fresh. Do it over and over again. Do it for years. Here's what happens. Yesterday, Christy and I were watching uh, her uncle's funeral online. And his son, Carson, preached the sermon. Carson's got zero formal theological education that I know of. Best of my knowledge, Carson's not even been the privilege of attending lots of healthy churches. But he had a dad who read the Bible to him, a dad who talked to him about his personal relationship with God, and he has poured over the scriptures for himself over the years. And I'm telling you, promise you I'm not exaggerating, it was the finest gospel presentation I believe I have ever heard from about a 55-year-old guy who's poured over the scriptures for decades. 
You just sit under the word Sunday by Sunday. You study that word for yourself. You talk about it with your kids in the ordinary realms of life, and you'll bring them up. You'll bring them up. Well, I guess I need to make a few brief comments about this last section of the text. This is actually interesting. The ultimate way to avoid exasperating your children is to proactively teach them about Jesus. Do you see that? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is very fascinating. It's, it's a little shocking, actually. Both of these words, discipline and instruction, they're both, they're both negative words. The word discipline, paideia, has the idea often of corporal punishment. Paideia is going to throw you back to Proverbs and all the spanking verses. So there's a sense in bring them up in the discipline, even to the point of not in a way that abuses or injures, but in a way that teaches that there's consequences for actions, that sin causes pain. You discipline them. And then this word instruction has the idea more of verbal correction, of, of, saying, of saying stop, of saying don't. There's all kinds of parents who think it's unloving to limit their children, to say no to them. Dads, a regular part of your vocabulary should be no, don't, stop, be careful, be warned, that'll hurt you. You're like, that's so negative. Listen. The things that are in a child's heart to do are not all positive. Okay? If, if you, I just want to let them grow. You totally, you don't, e you don't even know what you're dealing with. You don't even know what you're dealing with. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod will drive that folly far from them. You know what happens when kids never hear no? When they never hear don't? You ever heard the story of Adonijah? Adonijah was King David's son. He was King David's fourth son. He was good looking. Oh, this is a recipe for disaster already. Growing up in the king's house, good looking. And he got it into his mind that he should be king instead of his dad. Now, I've, you've met a few toddlers like this who had the idea that they should be king rather than their father. But Adonijah didn't just have a toddler's lungs, he actually had military resources. And he organized a coup, a hostile takeover of his father's government. Now, that's not necessarily David's fault. Bad kids come out of good homes. But actually, the, the passage where this is dealt with actually tells us that it was David's fault. The uh, passage, 1 Kings 1, 6, I'll read it to you in the Christian Standard Bible. It said his father had never once infuriated him by asking, why did you do that? 
David was Mr. Nice Guy to an Adonijah. He was Mr. Popular Dad to Adonijah. He never said to Adonijah, what are you doing? Why'd you do that? No, stop. I don't care how good looking you are. Never said anything like that to him. And the end result was a rebellious man who would overthrow the government. I'll be honest with you. It's hard not to look at the society we live in today and not simply see the whole thing as the mass effects of mass fatherlessness. Of a generation that's just never been told, no, I'm a girl. No, you're not. You're a boy. And I love you. We're going to figure out how to do this boy thing together. If you will not discipline your children verbally and physically, your children will be hell on earth. Your your children, well, if they turn out all right, it will be in spite of you, not because of you. But you gotta keep putting the things together. It's bring them up, bring them up. It's not a primarily negative vision. It's not just, no, 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 no. Sort of this Victorian father ready to crack down at any moment. It's not, that's not the vision. The vision's bring them up, bring them up. But the ones coming up have a sin nature. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. And they, they, they're trying to live in a world that there's no consequences for your actions. But that world doesn't exist. And it's parents who are responsible to, to make them feel that reality, verbally and physically. And it's all to be done for this one purpose. So that they would follow the teachings of the Lord. They would follow the teachings of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Men like that are the product of a miracle. But brothers, if that miracle has happened in you, this thing is doable. It's not rocket science. It can be done by an average Joe. You, 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 you may not be the best man on the planet, but you are the only man with your role for those kids. And that is precious and that is good. And Jesus wants to take you along. And there may be imperfections in your parenting, but there's, you're only one step away from renewing that fellowship with your kids, and that step is repenting to them. Yes, a father should repent to their kids. And asking for their forgiveness, and then reestablishing that authority best you can by the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ. That will stand out in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I know, I need to be done. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we pray and we thank you for this time together in your word. We pray that you would make many godly fathers. And we pray that whether we're single or married, whether we had good fathers or bad, that we would be personally invested in seeing this church full of godly fathers. We pray this to the praise of your glory. Amen.